1: You're listening to The Dworkin Report, and I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. On the pod today, we've got a returning guest, Princeton history professor Julian Zelizer, who wrote a whole book about the impact of a major midterm election and the ripple effect in American politics that we're still feeling today. His book, Burning Down the House, Newt Gingrich, The Fall of a Speaker, and the Rise of the New Republican Party, is so relevant that this interview was recorded 21 months ago. Yet, this is an absolutely... Must Listen podcast today, as we stand in the shadow of the looming 2022 midterm elections. 28 years ago, House Republicans were united behind their minority leader, Newt Gingrich, and created a marketing plan around their midterm elections. 34 days ago, current House Republican minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, shared an entirely similar plan, and Gingrich himself took to Twitter to point out the similarities. It turns out that Gingrich has been advising McCarthy since January 2022. These events just go to show you how important it is to learn history if you want to understand politics. Because sometimes, the past isn't really the past. The past is not even over yet. But if we learn from the past, study it, and understand it, then we can benefit from the lessons of prior events to both understand how we got here, and also to figure out where to go next take a listen. I'm here with Julian Zelizer. He's a prolifically published professor of political history at Princeton and a CNN commentator appearing for his second time on the Dworkin Report. Professor Zelizer, welcome to the program. How are you today?
2: Thanks for having me. I'm doing just fine.
1: I appreciate you. The timing couldn't be uh, more perfect. You know, the last time you were on the program, my producer Grant Stern sat down with you and fellow Princeton professor Kevin Cruz to talk about your prior book, Fault Lines. At the Miami Book Fair. But your new book came out and it's called Burning Down the House, Newt Gingrich, The Fall of a Speaker and the Rise of the New Republican Party. Uh, Can you tell our listeners what first inspired you to, to write Burning Down the House and when you thought it would be relevant to dig into the doings of the former Republican Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've been working on the book since 2014, uh, and it's a story that I've taught about since the early 2000s, at least, maybe in the 1990s as well. Uh, and both Newt Gingrich and his takedown of the speaker in 1989 always seemed incredibly significant to me. Uh, that When I decided, OK, I'm going to write this book, I was doing Fault Lines also with uh, Kevin at the same time. Uh, But I thought this was a perfect way into how Republican partisanship turned out to be what I was watching from the Tea Party uh, during Obama's presidency and just seeing on Fox News. And I thought this was what historians look for, the turning points where one things move in one direction or another. Uh, And so I decided to sit down and write the story.
1: How important is it for readers to learn what happened in the 80s and 90s, uh, early 90s, that is? which led to Gingrich's political rise, the, the last era when Democrats controlled the House for more than four consecutive years.
2: It's really important. I think uh, too many people uh, think of what you watch these days, whether it was under President Trump or uh, whether it was earlier uh, during those Tea Party years, as this aberration, as somehow— Uh, Radicals outside the party establishment of the GOP have taken over. It's it's this ongoing narrative. And if you go back to the 80s, the the Reagan years, and you look at Gingrich and what he was doing on Capitol Hill, you see that this style of partisanship uh, from, you know, vicious takedowns of opponents to the use of any kind of toxic language that one wants to the constant prioritization of partisanship over governing. This has been there all along. This is now deeply uh, embedded in the DNA of the GOP. And you need to understand that to make sense of of why Trump is president and and why his support among Republicans remains pretty strong.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com/system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com/system.
1: And let's talk about the the contract for America. Can you explain to our listeners firstly the basics, what was it? Secondly, how did Gingrich use it to nationalize the 1994 midterm races? And lastly, How historically important was Gingrich's contract for America as a political idea?
2: Yeah, it was an interesting uh, document that Republicans put out during the 1994 midterm campaign. Uh, President Clinton is in office and they basically offer uh, a a set of proposals, uh, including uh, term limits for members of Congress, efforts to balance the budget, including a balanced budget amendment I think there was a taking uh, back our streets provision, which is a kind of law and order uh, sort of provision. And it was a gimmick, meaning it was a series of these promises that focused, it was an eclectic mix of anti-politics kind of promises and uh, conservative law and order slash fiscal conservative promises. And they put it on a piece, a, a tear out sheet that was published in the reader's guide Uh, which used to be how people figured out what was on television and the point was for Americans to get this to tear it out to put it on their refrigerator and it was a reminder going into the midterms of what Republicans would deliver and it was important because it was very good in terms of promoting why this midterm was something bigger than a bunch of local races it was a national effort to reverse what Clinton was trying to do. Uh, It was great in terms of getting media eyeballs on Gingrich and Republican candidates uh, because the press found this fascinating and they even have an event on the steps of the Capitol Hill where they hold this up and promote it. Um, And then it became a problem because after Republicans do take over, they're unable to pass almost any of it. Uh, So it becomes just a reminder of what they didn't do.
1: And now that we've set the stage, can you explain to our listeners what they'll learn from your book about how Newt Gingrich changed the entire political language of our country and moved the focus from policy to people?
2: Yeah, they'll they'll learn the story of this uh, political bomb thrower who comes into office in the early 1980s when Republicans had controlled Congress since 1954. And he basically, over the course of a decade, persuades his colleagues— that they have to uh, get rid of all these old conceptions of politics that they had, that governance matters, that politicians have a responsibility to make sure institutions work. And they had to really lower the bar of what was permissible. And you see in his story, before he's ever Speaker of the House, uh, you see him conduct all kinds of political theater on C-SPAN and other cable networks, where he just really... Uh, launches fierce attacks about Democrats, criminalizing who they are and calling them basically unpatriotic. He introduces a whole new way of talking on Capitol Hill uh, that wasn't really permissible. And he'll take every element of the governing process in the 80s, such as ethics rules, and turn them into partisan weapons. He weaponizes them all the time. Uh, And you see him do this, and the book revolves around his ability and success at taking down the Speaker of the House in 1989, a guy named Jim Wright. Uh, and that was a big deal because no Speaker had ever been forced to resign. And because Gingrich is successful, it's a turning point. Other Republicans who don't like him, who see him as a new Joe McCarthy, they're basically allowing him to be one of their leaders, and they're. They're embracing his tactics. So you see that shift uh, and the path to where we are today in a specific year, a specific moment, and a battle that really had consequences.
1: I I don't think any book about Newt Gingrich would be complete without an examination of hypocrisy in American politics. Uh, How does that factor into your examination of his career?
2: Well, it reveals how thin his concern actually was for the issues he was using against Democrats. Meaning, uh, my argument is he's really a partisan fighter rather than a a moral majority figure. And you can see this because he lived a life where personally, uh, he was at odds with a lot of the things he was calling for. He had uh, uh, affairs, Um, he had really rocky relationships uh, with his first wife, uh, and then with his second wife, Uh, he his personal life was kind of a, a notorious part of Washington culture. There was an article about him in 1984 that he talked about divorce and brought the divorce papers to the hospital room where his first wife was reco- recovering from cancer surgery. So, so here's this guy who's part of the Reagan revolution and the moral majority who lives a life that has very little to do with that. Uh, and also, he when, when, when he brings down Speaker Wright in 1989, one of the key uh, issues, issues he raises is that he says Jim Wright unethically sold a book of speeches um, and basically sold them in bulk to interest groups as a way to make money. And, and as he is conducting this campaign and, and saying this makes him the most corrupt speaker in, Amer- in American history, he himself is being investigated for selling a book in unethical ways and raising money from interest groups to pay for the promotion. And so this disconnect, it's about hypocrisy but it's all about the thinness of some of the the concerns that this generation of Republicans say they care about.
1: And, of course, we also have to discuss both impeachment and his scorched-earth treatment of President Clinton. Can you tell our listeners an anecdote from the book that illustrates where his animosity came from before he applied it to the president?
2: Sure. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, he spends the whole 1980s uh, railing against the Democratic establishment, arguing they're corrupt, that they're out of step with where most working and middle class Americans were. And his theme in the 80s was still corruption and unfair power uh, and and the, the ways in which Democrats controlled uh, Congress. And, and when he takes Jim Wright down, it's such a big deal. I think it empowered him to believe that any leader ultimately could be susceptible to his attacks. It it was remarkable for someone, a backbencher, to do what he did to the Speaker of the House. So I think fast forward uh, to the time he is Speaker of the House and the question of Bill Clinton is on the table. I think the memories of that uh, made him a person who was confident he could use this impeachment mechanism and, and go all the way with it. Um, and I think he believed every leader was susceptible and his argument shifted. I mean, in the eighties, he was focused on Democrats as corrupt. I think with Bill Clinton, he wanted to argue to Americans that Bill Clinton represented the wrong side of the culture wars. And he was an embodiment of everything that was going wrong in the nineties, um, by those who weren't on board with the Reagan revolution.
1: And how did it all end for Gingrich? And spoiler alert, uh, what does his downfall mean for the current Republican Party, whom some people have said that Gingrich shaped uh, for Trump to take over?
2: Well, I mean, his career ends poorly. And in 1998, he has to step down uh, in the middle of the impeachment, because uh, right as uh, the Senate is preparing uh, for uh, its process and the House is finishing its impeachment Process. Uh, The Republicans do very poorly in the 1998 midterm election. So, a lot of Republicans in the House say it's time for Gingrich to go. He's not handling this well. And they also know privately he's having an affair. And so, to be doing that as they are impeaching the President of the United States over an affair didn't sit very well. And so, he's forced to step down. Uh, And his career has kind of continued. Uh, He failed in his run for the presidency in 2012. He wasn't picked as vice president in 2016, though he was a finalist. Uh, And he's primarily a voice on Fox, and he writes a lot of books about Trump. Um, But his legacy is pretty big. and, And I think at some level, he gets satisfaction. He must, out of the fact that so much of what the party does and the way it says things, and even President Trump as an embodiment of that, reflects a lot of the strategy he was insisting was the only way Republicans could succeed back in the 80s.
1: And speaking of endings, uh, here we are after the ending of an impeachment trial that began before our last interview. We spoke with Grant Stern on the pod, uh, but in the middle of an even more consequential national coronavirus epidemic. How do you see all of this ending for America and, and for Trump?
2: Well, we we have a big problem on our hands, and I think we as a nation are in in the middle at, at best, if not in the early stages of this very severe pandemic that has uh, led to death and it's led to economic harm and much more. And and what's remarkable is to watch the administration and and Senate Republicans keep making decisions based on what they see as being best in their partisan interest and politicizing masks, for example, and having red state governors really uh, open things up very, very quickly, um, because, you know, that became a point of what you wanted to do. And it's leading to a colossal failure in terms of policy. We're seeing this pandemic rage again, uh, when we should have been containing it at this point. And so, you know, the question is, what does this all do to the standing of the party? Does enough of the electorate rebel against this, uh, that it finally causes Republicans to think about what kind of party they've been and what they've been doing, uh, or do they just double down and try to survive by being exactly the same party? I don't know which way it goes, but those are really the two paths.
1: The book is called Burning Down the House, Newt Gingrich, The Fall of a Speaker and the Rise of the New Republican Party. Uh, you can buy the book in our episode notes also. Uh, and Professor Zelizer, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people follow you on Twitter?
2: Uh, at Julian Zelizer. And uh, I'm active on Twitter, so I hope to hear from some of you. Well, they
1: uh, will be aware of you for sure. I can tell you that because um, this is going to be really timely in regards to everything. So I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you writing the book. It, it's a must read for everybody. Um, so Professor Zelizer, thank you for taking the time today.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks again to Professor Zelzer for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks again to our producer, Mr. Grant Stern. You can follow him at Grant Stern on Twitter. Thanks to everybody else who helped on this episode, Sam and Ben. You can visit our website at dworkinreport.com for more episodes. You can also subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Be well. Do good.
2: Onward!